Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. So while you're doing that, what do these three things have in common? A gas can, a two-by-four, a short two-by-four, and a Chick-fil-A package. They all have a purpose. <laughs> yes, the truth is they are all in a shortage. Now, be honest with you, I can live without gasoline. I could probably not build anything for a while, but you take away my Chick-fil-A sauce and we're going to scrap. I mean, can you believe that? The world is in such a crisis that they're rationing Chick-fil-A sauce. What is up with this thing? You know, actually, there are a lot of things in shortage right now. Uh, I read an article yesterday um, to just kind of remind myself of the things that are in shortage. Here are some of them. You might be surprised at some of them. Chlorine is in shortage. Kelly, you are, have a pool company. You know this very well. If you own a pool, you are paying twice as much, if not more, for your chemicals, right? I'm told that a bucket of chlorine tablets is now like 160 bucks, something like that. Craziness, right? Um, did you know that um, Chick-fil-A sauce, but not just Chick-fil-A sauce, but ketchup, little packets of ketchup are in shortage right now. Yeah, that's true. So if you go to McDonald's or whatever and they're skimpy on the ketchup, that's why. Apparently, producers cannot keep up with the package. The reason is everybody bought takeout. Now all the ketchup is being given to takeout and voila, we're in supply. Did you know aluminum cans are in short supply? Yep, they're having a hard time filling all of the orders. And I read that it might be 2023 before they catch up. So interesting, ketchup. Did you catch that? Um, pickle jars. Pickle jars are in short supply. Here's the story on this one. Apparently, uh, Burger King now has a new... Boy, I should get paid by all these companies. You know that? I mean, I really... Burger King has a new chicken sandwich because everybody's facing the C or chasing the CFA. And um, their new chicken sandwich requires a certain kind of pickle, but they can't release the sandwich because they can't get the pickles because the pickles cannot fit in the pickle jars. And so jars are... In scarcity. I don't know how all that worked, but that's just the way I heard. Speaking of chicken, if you like chicken wings, chicken wings are in short supply. Who knew? Some companies or some restaurants are actually not serving chicken wings except for the weekends. I can't remember which one it was, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, if you go, you will find it not available. Isn't it amazing how many things are being uh, short right now? The truth be told, though, we're not really suffering. I mean, we, we, can, we can say we're suffering, but most all of us ate today. Most all of us got here. Most all of us have a, a plethora of toilet paper inside of our home because we learned last year in 2020 that you never want to be unprepared. Um, and so all of these things that we're facing shortages um, of are, are not really life-altering things. But shortages have always been the case. 
There's always been shortages ever since the beginning of time. You've had famine, you've had droughts, you've had um, times where basic necessities were not available. For us, it's an inconvenience, but right now, all over the world, there are people who are starving. I read uh, this week also that um, almost 70% of the the uprooted peoples across the world mainly come from about six different nations— Afghanistan, South Sudan, Venezuela, and a few others. These are people who they are, they're, everything that they own, which is normally not much anyways, is put into a backpack and they begin walking because it's too difficult to live where they are because of the murder and because of the, uh, the enslavement and all these kinds of things. And so you've got uprooted people who genuinely have desperate, abject needs and yet we sometimes are complaining because, well, we, we can't get our chicken wings. I'm not, I'm not getting on to you. I'm just saying one of the ways that we need to deal with this shortage crisis is by changing our perspective. By changing our perspective and seeing what really is important and then remembering the overall purpose of, not the purpose, but the overall uh, uh, truth in that God is never a God of shortage. We live in a world of shortage, but we serve a God of abundance. Say that with me. We live in a world of shortage, but we serve a God of abundance. But be careful. I'm not a health and wealth and prosperity teacher. Because sometimes you and I are going to be short something, but we need to trust and know that God has promised to supply all of our needs, but he will not do those, uh, supply those needs in our time, and he won't supply things necessarily that we think we need. He'll supply the things we genuinely need. Have you ever said to your kid, I'm not giving you what you want, I'm giving you what you need? You ever said that? Or have you ever thought that? The truth is, sometimes when we get what we want instead of what we need, what we want hurts us. And what we need helps us. So in the scripture in Philippians, we're going to start here and then I'm going to show, share with you a couple of other stories. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. In verse 10 he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm currently in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the secret is this. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, thank you. The Philippian church supplied some of his needs. They sent him some, some income to be able to, uh, 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 to, to take care of needs. And he was replying back to them, thank you for, for sending something, but I want you to know that God is supplying my needs. I want you to know that I've learned that whether I have a lot or a little, whether I have um, uh, abundance or scarcity... My God is able to supply all of my needs. And furthermore, he says, the secret of being content in life is recognizing that it doesn't, life doesn't consist in what you do or don't have. Life consists of in whom you are trusting. 
And if you hear nothing else today, this is what I want you to hear. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever he did back then, he is able to do today, and he's certainly able to do tomorrow. The character of God doesn't change. Amen? The person of God does not change. Nothing surprises God. Nothing causes him to go, oh, wait a minute. I didn't see that coming. He never doesn't see things coming, ever. He always sees, in fact, not only does he see things coming, he sees what's going to happen far before they ever do. Since the creation of time, he has known all things. Here's how I know that. Because God is not confined to time and space. Do you know this, right? God is infinite. We are finite. Time was created by God. Time didn't exist, and God said, I'm going to give boundaries to this creation that I've made. And these boundaries are going to help them to understand what night is and what day is. These boundaries are going to help them to understand this is fall and summer and winter and spring. These boundaries are going to help them to know that they are not infinite, but they are finite. There's a beginning. There's an end. But for God, time and space doesn't exist. And so it's no problem for him to see 100,000 years ahead. He can do that because that's the omniscience of God. He's not confined like we are to these uh, 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 boundaries. And so if God is not confined to boundaries, literally there's nothing our God cannot do. Think about it. You might say, yes, but this is a situation that's just big. Yeah, but what is too big for the God that said, sun, I want you to go here, moon, I want you to go here, and I'm going to hang all these stars in their place. By the way, I'm going to hang them in their place in such a way that they're going to stay in that place for all of the time of creation. Do you know that we have maps of the stars and we know their exact locations? Not all of them, but we know so many of them. We can, we can print out a map and we can actually do an app on our phone and we can, based on the GPS of our phone and the angle and all, we can go, okay, that's this star and that's this star. We know that because those stars don't change. And those stars don't change because God, when he created them, said, I'm putting you here, and I'm putting you here, and I'm putting you here. If God can do that, what is it in your life that he cannot do? What problem do you have that's too big? What issue are you facing that you need to be wondering, oh, I'm just not sure if God can handle this one? I don't think God is flippant. But I know that if God were flippant on some of the things that we worry about, he would go, well, gee, maybe that one's too. But no, of course not. Do you remember the Old Testament stories? You know, one of the reasons we have the Old Testament is to confirm who God is. Do you remember that he parted the Red Sea? Do you remember that he fed the children of Israel in the morning and in the evening with manna from the sky? They made all kinds of things, but manna bread, I mean, all just... Come on, tough crowd. I mean, they, do you remember that, that when Pharaoh's army was chasing them, God let, let the Israelites through and then he swallowed Do you remember the time that he opened up the ground and sucked up all of the complainers and grumblers? That's a good one. You ought to go read that one. See, the thing is, God doesn't change. And if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. God is able to supply all of your needs according to his own riches in Christ Jesus. That, by the way, would be Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. 
My God is able to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But let's talk about needs. So Paul says, I know what it is like to be in want, and I know what it's like to be in plenty. Sometimes we, we fret, we worry because we have needs that God hasn't met yet. And we ask ourselves, why hasn't God met these needs if he's promised to meet the needs? You ever been there? I've been there. You ever, you ever had those times where if God didn't show up in a miraculous way or something else happened, you were going to be in a lot of trouble? I mean, like you were on the edge of despair, perhaps. And you wonder, where is God? Do you know that sometimes God gives you plenty? But he doesn't give you plenty just for you. He gives you plenty for, the time, for those who don't have enough. He always blesses us so that we can be a conduit for blessing every single time. It is just a truth of scripture. At the same time, he sometimes allows us to be in scarcity. He allows us to have needs, real needs, because it's through our own needs that we are desperate, and it's through our desperation that we draw close to him. Because what God is more, more interested in than you having a nice, happy, healthy life, he's interested in you knowing the heart of the Father. And the way that you know God the, the deepest and the most intimate ways is when you have a need and he shows up and he meets that need. Can you testify to that? It's true, right? We rarely, I say rarely, it, it, it's, it's not often that we praise God when we have much. Now, every now and then we, we, we're like, okay, God, thank you for what we have. But usually the praise is most intense when we have little and when we're desperate. And the stories that you tell are not the tales of, uh, the tales of excess. The stories that you tell to each other are the tales of being desperate and God showing up at just the right time. So it's not the meanness of God that causes him to delay coming. It's the goodness of God. And I, I wonder if sometimes God, he's so patient, but I wonder if sometimes he goes, have I ever not provided for you? Have I ever not shown up and taken care of your needs? Have I ever let you go hungry? Have I ever not been faithful to what I've said I would do? It's like, oh yeah, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's like we forget all over again until the next time, right? You know what God wants? God wants an unbending, unquestioning faith. Maturity in our, in our faith means that regardless of what we see, we know that we know that we know that God is faithful. How do you find that kind of deep-rooted faith? You struggle. Because it's the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. And perseverance that produces hope, right? It's in that struggle that God says, I'm going to teach you who I am. And if you think that that's unfair of God, let me just show you that that's actually what God does to those or with those that he loves. In your Bibles, if you will, pull over into the Old Testament into 1 Kings. Really, really cool story. I'm sure uh, many of you are familiar with this already. 
But in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a prophet named Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet of God. And Elijah is on his way to having the greatest prophet showdown in the history of the world. Like this is, this is the greatest um, um, mono imano ever. It's my God is bigger than your God. In fact, it was bigger than that. My God is bigger than your God's, right? He's on his way to the showdown at Mount Carmel. But what God is doing is preparing the soil, so to speak. God is preparing not only Elijah's heart and his faith, but he's also preparing the, uh, the soil of, of the nation of Israel so that they will come to the point where they say, okay, let's just deal with this now. So in other words, Elijah says there's going to be a drought. Ahab, King Ahab, king of Israel, is not happy. His lady friend Jezebel is especially not happy. She pretty much runs the show. By the way, nobody ever names their kid Jezebel. Why? Because Jezebel doesn't have a good connotation, right? You do not want to be a Jezebel. If you, are, you are not honoring somebody if you say, okay, thank you, Jezebel. Not a good thing. I recommend not doing that. Jezebel and Ahab despise Elijah. He said there's going to be a drought. And so God says to Elijah, go down to a particular ravine and hide there, and you're going to just camp out for a while while this thing brews, right? And while, while, the, while the, the anxiety just builds in the nation. Because remember, it, it never ceases to amaze me how God is able to do in everybody at the same time exactly what they need through a certain circumstance. You ever been amazed by that? For instance, in preaching, one of the things I've learned is that one sermon that's, that's about this can hit people in so many different ways, and it's like, man, I didn't even say that. But, but God has a way of meeting each of our needs, right? So that's what God was doing in this situation. For Elijah, he was building his faith. So he sent Elijah to this particular ravine, and he says to Elijah, well, I'll just read it to you. He said, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Basically, you have the first Uber Eats right here. Seriously. I just wonder if he had an ability to, to make requests. Listen, uh, I'm kind of tired of uh, this kind of bread. Could you bring me something different? I, I, I doubt it was, but I mean, you wonder, right? So the Bible says that in the morning and the evening, the ravens brought meat and bread, brought food to Elijah while he was in this ravine, and the Bible says he drank from the brook. So his, his needs were met. But something that you might miss if you're not looking, his needs were met by the most inopportune ways and by the strangest of ways. Why? Ravens are not naturally friendly. A raven is, a, is, a, is a, a, a carnivorous animal. A raven leaves its young, right? They're not motherly at all. They're not gentle. They're not kind. You would never have a pet raven. They're selfish, essentially. They're about survival. They're brutal in a lot of ways. And yet God said, I'm going to do the impossible so that you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
if he were fed by doves, that'd have been cool. But it's been like, oh, well, of course, doves. I mean, doves are gentle and kind, and they taste great on the barbecue. I mean, um, <laughs> sorry. You know, you know, you you could figure doves. You know, this 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 nice, gentle. But a raven? God, you chose a raven? Yeah. Why did God choose a raven? Just to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, only the Lord can do this. But here's what happened. In the very next part of the story, the brook dried up. Do you see that? God's provision ended. And it caused a mini crisis, mini, M-I-N-I, a little crisis for Elijah. And what did that crisis do? That crisis gave Elijah yet one more chance to see the provision of God. And it also moved Elijah from where he was to the next place he needed to be. And in the process, going to a place so that he could be a conduit of blessing for the next person. Does that make sense? Some of us experience shortages, crises, because it's part of the way that God moves us into another season of life. It's part of the way that he moves us into another phase of life. It's part of the way that he reminds us that he is faithful and he is all sufficient as our savior. But it's also part of the way that he says, look, I'm going to use you in another place, in another area, in some other people's lives. And the only way to get you there is to cause the brook to dry up here. Isn't that the way God works? That's a goodness of God. That's not the meanness of God. It's what a father does. He's always thinking about how his children can be continually blessed. Of course, within the context of his own glory. So he moves them. In the very next verse, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? And she was going, as she was going to get it, he called, Oh, oh, by the way, will you also bring me a piece of bread? So God used a raven to feed him, the, the, uh, the, the unlikely bird to choose, but he also used an unlikely person. Think about it. If you were hungry and you were in need of sustenance, who would you go to to ask to meet your need? Now, you got to remember that a widow is not wealthy here. A widow here is going to be not only poor, but desperately poor. She was so poor, in fact, that she was out gathering sticks so that she could cook a little piece of bread so that she and her son could have one final meal before they died. That was her plan. We're going to celebrate by having one more cinnamon roll, and then we're going to die. We're going to just look at each other and just sit there and literally starve to death. She had nothing left but a little bit to make one piece of bread. And this stranger, this man of God said, I want you to give me a piece of bread. She had this tough choice to make, right? Don't you know that when God supplies your need, he oftentimes asks you to empty your hands first 
before he fills them? Don't you know that sometimes what God is actually doing is he's testing your faith? Because remember, if he's going to build your faith, he has to test it to see where it actually has to be built. Not that he doesn't know, but you and I may not know. So we're in this place, we're in this crisis mode, and God says, I want you, or the widow is in this crisis mode, and the widow was told, if you'll make bread for the man of God, God will supply your needs. She had a choice to make, as is often the case, if not always, well, not always, but as is often the case, God doesn't just meet your need without you taking any step of faith. It almost always requires you to do something to put feet to your faith so that God can then provide. I've told you this story a hundred times probably, but it's one of my favorite stories. Shannon and I were, you know what I'm talking about, well actually she's probably going, which one? I don't know if you know this, but Shannon has a blessing book. All throughout our life, uh, as God has met needs that we didn't have met, and as he's done miraculous things in our life, she's written them down so that we can one day when we're old go back and, and read the stories of God. But one particular time, I was a full-time student evangelist. We, we were living in Pensacola. And all of my events had dried up, and it was November, and so November, December, you don't ever do anything as an evangelist. That's, it, that's like Christmas and Thanksgiving, and nobody hires you. And so I stopped by uh, Domino's Pizza to get an a application to deliver pizza. And um, as I was driving back to the house, I definitively heard the Lord say, Jeff, I told you I'm going to provide for you. And I had this real good conversation that kind of went like this. Yes, Lord, but I have a responsibility to my wife and to my children. Uh, I think we might have had two at the time. Um, and so, and, and I was like, Lord, I, I got to do something. And he said, look, I want you to trust me. I said, oh, okay, but you're, I mean, you know, I got home and I took that application and I wadded it up and I threw it away. Now, to me, what I was doing was I was taking a st I was actively doing something to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And I threw it away. Of course, I was trusting him here, but the trust here, I was still a little bit nervous. That was kind of that, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you, but the parts that I don't trust you, I need you to help me with this. And he said, that's exactly what I'm doing. I think it was the next day or so, I drove to, back to the house, I went and got the mail like I always do, and in the mailbox there was an envelope with no return address, just my name and our address. I thought, oh, this is weird. At the mailbox I opened it up and there was a cashier's check in that envelope for $5,000. Paid our monthly bills for November and December. I still to this day have no earthly idea who put that in there. But on that day, I remembered that the Lord God was able to supply all of my needs according to his riches and his purposes. I never again needed to worry whether or not God would supply my needs. Now, have I worried since then? Yes, yeah, sometimes. But for the most part, whenever I get to that anxious part of my life where I'm just not sure, I go back to that story and countless others and I say, if God did it then, if he hasn't changed, he will be faithful even today. So this woman 
this widow makes a little bit of bread and then um, go to verse 12. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and only a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son. Then we will eat it and we will die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make me a small cake of bread from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said, the jar of flour will, be, will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? So she goes in and she, now, now remember, the Lord spoke this to her before she moved in faith, but she still had to believe what was spoken to her. She still had to make a loaf and give it to the man of God. And then she made it for herself. The way we know who God is is by what he said about himself. That's why God's word is so important. But what God says about himself is demonstrated in the lives of the believers who follow him and who call him Lord. And so she trusted what God had said, and then from that day forward, every morning she'd wake up and she'd go to the two jars. She'd open up the jar of flour, there'd be flour. She'd open up the jar of oil, there would be oil. She'd make the bread, they'd eat the bread. She'd go to bed, she'd get up the next day, she'd go back, she'd open up the jar of flour, there would be flour. She'd open up the jar of oil, there would be oil. And every single day it was just like that until the rain started. God will meet all of your needs exactly on time, every time you have to trust him. Uh, there's a, he, he's retired now, but there was a pastor named Frank Barker in uh, uh, Birmingham, uh, Birmingham? Yeah, in Birmingham, Alabama. He was a pastor of a church that he started in a little storefront, and the church became Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Large, giant church. It, it, it was a, a huge campus. They had thousands of people. But I went and I stayed with him, and um, I was, I was, talking with them at their table one night and Frank's wife was sharing the story of God's sufficiency because I asked them to share the story of how they started the church. And she said, you know, in those early days, we were very, very, um, very lean. We didn't have much. And her husband was a short, timid, quiet, gentle, humble, unassuming man. And, and when I say unassuming, I mean like when he walked into the room, nobody noticed Yet this is the pastor of this mega church that the entire city is blessed by. It's amazing how God uses people when they just move themselves out of the way and let God does, do what he wants to do. But I was at the table and they were telling me this story. And Miss Barker told me, she said, I'll tell you one time when God's sufficiency was made real to me. She said, we were having a youth meeting at our home and we were, uh, we didn't have hardly any money, but, but, um, and actually now that I think about it, I think her husband planned the meeting and then came back and told her, oh, by the way, I invited a bunch of youth to the house tonight. So can we do some dinner? And she's like, where are we going to get the money for dinner? I mean, she, she said, I had enough to buy, uh, some meat and some buns for like 20 people, right? He said, oh, that'll be fine. That's all that'll come. So she goes to the store. She's a little bit mad at this point. I forgot this part of the story earlier today. She was a little bit kind of 
already on edge because her husband surprised her with this. She came back and she started making it and she made this pot of, of, uh, of what's it called? Sloppy Joe, right? Well, they started coming into the house and there were five and then there were 10 and she wanted to control the food so that she could make sure there was enough for the 20 people that would show up. Well, they got to 20 and then 25 and then 30 and she's getting more and more worked up over this. She said she's just crying. The, stream, the tears are streaming down her face and she's thinking to herself, we're going to run out of food. How embarrassing. This is, this is awful. And she kept just putting food. They would come in with a plate and a bun and they would, she just kept putting food and kept putting food and kept putting, putting food. There were 50 and then there were 60 and then there were 75 and then there were 80. She said there were people in the house in every single crook and cranny and crevice. And then she heard, anybody else want more? And, you know, she was kind of, you know, jolted back into reality. And she looked down and she had the same amount of, of sloppy joe that she started with. And the Lord said to her then, I will supply all of your needs. When you are faithful, when you give what you have, what you don't have is the easy part. Old sloppy Joe. And, and here's the cool part. I've told that story a bunch of times all over different places. And sometimes I have people come up and go, that didn't really happen. I said, well, you know what? I know Miss Barker and I know that she's not a liar. And I can tell you there are 80 people in that room that could tell you that they all ate and she only cooked enough for 20. She only had enough buns for 20. How it happened? It was a miracle of God. But what is too small for our, or what is too big for our God to be able to do? The very next story I want to share with you, and then we're going to try to wrap this up because I've got a special surprise at the end of here for you. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's another story. That was Elijah. This story is about Elisha. Now, if you're still working on how the Bible works together, Elijah was a prophet to Israel. In uh, the few chapters after the one I just read to you, he had this, this encounter with him as a prophet of God against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 other prophets. And he said, look, the God who answers by fire is the one true God. And so they had this great showdown, and it was amazing. Of course, God the Father answered by fire, and once and for all, it was, it was declared, Jehovah God is God. Shortly after that event, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And it seems like he forgot all that God had just done, and he ran, and he cried out to God, I'm done, I'm finished, I got nothing left. And God said, okay. You're going to rest now and you're going to pass on this, this blessing, this anointing to the next prophet. And the next prophet was Elisha. Here's how you can always remember which one's first. Elijah, J, comes before Elisha, S. That's how you can remember that, okay? So Elisha became the prophet. And Elijah, or Elisha, had the same kind of experience. In chapter 4 of 2 Kings... The Bible says the wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. 
and you know that he revered the Lord, but, he is, but, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? That is the question. Instead of looking at what you don't have, you need to look at what you do have. Because every time you have a shortage, you have something else. And it's the something else that God wants to know if he owns or not. Does that make sense? You, if, if you're not trusting God with what you have, how can you trust God with what you don't have? If you're not trusting God now when you have plenty, how are you going to trust God when you don't have plenty? Does that make sense? The truth of the matter is, we should be incredibly generous all the time, but especially when we have plenty, because our plenty is from God, not from ourselves. Um, I don't teach tithing, because I think New Testament-wise, generous giving is the principle. It's not that God wiped away tithing, but tithing was an Old Testament concept specifically geared towards the Israelites to teach them who owns what. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, be hilarious givers, be generous givers. So for many of us, we tithe because that's a good place to start. But, but the teaching is beyond just the, I'm just going to give an amount. I'm just going to do this. I'm just, it's, it's not about just doing something, it's about having your heart recognize that it is God who owns all things. And all throughout the scripture, what we find is that when people give out of their abundance, when there's no difficulty in it, there's really not a lot of faith challenge. It's when people give out of their scarcity that God is able to say, now let me prove to you that I'm the same God that I said I was for thousands and thousands of years. Remember the widow who had two mites? Less than a penny? You had the religious people who were writing big checks and putting it in. Then you had the widow that she's like, this is all I got. And Jesus said, that woman has done far more than those rich people have ever done or those religious people have ever done. Why? Because she gave out of her scarcity, but she was still honoring the Lord with what she had. And that was actually a demonstration of faith on her part. The rest of them were just doing it for show. Oh, let me, let me show you what I can do. It's all about the heart. Every bit of it. This is not a message about tithing. This is a message about the heart. If that happens to hit you somewhere, it needs to hit you, let it hit you. But at the end of the day, I can tell you this. Me and my family are incredibly blessed. There's no doubt about it. And I don't say that braggingly. I just say that as a matter of truth. But we have lived in times of extreme scarcity. You got to remember, I was a full-time evangelist. She didn't work full-time. We lived on one income that was by faith completely. And the only way I got paid is if a church called and said, hey, will you come do our youth retreat or will you come preach at our church? There was nothing else. And it wasn't because I was lazy. It was because the Lord specifically said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And I want you to do nothing else because I want you to understand who it is that has called you and who it is that you're serving. And so even when I tried to go do other stuff, the Lord often would cut that out. I tried to be a, a, a what's it called, a, a, a deckhand one time. Because I was like, well, look, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not earning any money. I got to go do something. One of the guys in the, in the church that I was at, he goes, hey, I'm a charter boat captain. You can deckhand for me. I go, okay, great. So I went out. Man, as soon as we left the dock, I got sick. 
I was in the back. I was cutting bait, smelling all that diesel fuel. And I was like, Lord Jesus, if you'll kill me now, I won't complain. Oh, it was the most miserable I've ever been in my life. In fact, I was so sick and so bad that finally the captain said, just come up into my air-conditioned cabin, lay down, and I'll handle everything. <laughs> I'm like, dude, don't even pay me. Matter of fact, you can help me by throwing me over. Just be like Jonah. Just throw me over. End my suffering. And you know what the Lord said? After that trip, he goes, I told you to trust in me. I, I, okay. But I'm, I'm saying, I'm telling you that to say that all of our life, we've tried to be generous at giving. And God has always honored that. When Jesus had, or excuse me, when Elijah asked, Elisha asked the woman, what do you have? He was asking her to let go of what she had so God could supply what she needed. And God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. She told him, well, all I have is a little bit of oil. This is verse 2. Your servant has nothing at all except a little oil. And Elisha said, perfect. Here's what I want you to do. Send your boys around the neighborhood, and I want you them to gather jars. Bring all the jars back to the house. And when all the jars are back to the house, I want you to take the oil that you have, and I want, to, want you to start pouring it into the jars. Now let's just reason this out. Think about it logically. I've got a little bitty jar of oil. Now I've got a table full of big jars. What the man of God wants me to do is take the little bitty jar of oil and pour it into the jar. So reasoning this out, now my jar is empty, but the new jar has some in it. Okay, that makes sense. She takes it and she starts pouring and she's looking at it, and it's like rising to the top, and it just starts to overflow. And she's like, whoa, must be a magic trick. There's oil. There's oil. There's a jar. Is this Sloppy Joe? She keeps pouring. She pours, and she pours, and she pours. And before long, the entire table's full of jars, and she says, come on, boys, I need another one. They go, Dad, or Mom, we, we, have none, we have none left. All the neighbors gave us all they have. And the Bible says in the very next verse, when she filled the last jar, the oil stopped flowing. I don't want to make a theology out of that particular verse, but there's a truth in that. In, in some ways, God reciprocates your generosity with his generosity. Again, I don't want to make a theology of that, but I think if you go back and you test it, it's true. You, you will discover that your generosity, God reciprocates with his generosity. So, after all these jars are full, Elijah, Elisha says, now go sell the jars, take the money from the sales, and then use that money to pay off your creditors, your husband's creditors, and so that you can live. God supplied all of her needs. Now, remember what verse 19 says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There might be a day in your life, in our life, when we are in need 
like those who have been uprooted from their homes or in need. There might be a day in our very country where we don't have food, we don't have shelter, we don't have safety, and we don't have all those other things. We like to think that that will never happen, but it could. This message is so that God can do whatever he needs to do in your life now so that when you get to the point of crisis and desperation, all you have to do is say, but I remember when God... I remember when God did these things in my life. God doesn't cause you to be in need because he hates you. No, he loves you. And he's doing what a good father would do. Will you trust him? This morning, I don't know where your need is. But I want to tell you that your greatest need is to have a relationship with God. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. It's not about how much you go to church. It's not about how good you've been. It's not about helping old ladies across the street. It's about your own righteousness. And the Bible says that all of our righteousness compared to God is like filthy rags. But the Bible says... That it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And so we are given God's grace. And our faith in who he is. Is where, the, where, where our hearts become able to be converted. What that means is the Bible calls it born again. It means that we are made new. And I know those words might sound a little strange, but the reality is God does something supernatural in us when we yield to him. And so this morning, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that now. Say to him, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know that you died for me. I trust you with my heart and I trust you with my life. Will you save me? And will you make all things new? Close your eyes and bow your head, if you will. Take just a moment. What is your greatest need? Do you need to be saved? Do that today. Do you have other needs that are physical needs? Maybe they're spiritual needs, emotional needs. Are you trusting God with what you already have? Father in heaven, I thank you for your people. I pray that you would bless us so that will be a blessing. Father, I pray that you would renew and restore the joy of our salvation. God, I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine according to who you are. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. <music> 